Why come here if you're not going to negotiate? To discuss Eamon Cunningham's death to my family. The drama at RTE isn't confined to the Sunday night shenanigans on Kin. You don't make deals on my behalf, not without even asking me first. News this week suggested that the boardroom at the public service broadcaster has its own drama with its own cliffhanger. Pretty fraught and not pleasant was how a report in the Irish Times described a meeting of the RTE board where the issue of who will be the next director general was discussed. I'm just going to stand back and watch her all go off. In the long run, the controversy is not RTE's biggest problem. Not even close. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, just what is going on at RTE and what does its future hold? I talk to Irish Times media columnist Laura Slattery. RTE is looking for a new boss in July. D Forbes, who's been in post since 2016, will be leaving. Now, why is it in the headlines this week? Well, it seems as if the process has hit a slight roadblock, I would say. I would say it's a temporary roadblock. There was questions raised about the uh, nature of the process at the most recent board meeting of RTE, which points to some level of disunity uh, within the board about how things have been conducted throughout the recruitment process. There are three members on the board who were interviewing in recent months to replace Steve Forbes. And they nominated a preferred candidate who is the former RTE Current Affairs Managing Director, Kevin Backhurst. They've put his name to the board. And as we understand it, at the last board meeting, his was the only name that was mentioned. But a small number, you know, possibly the smallest number you can imagine of board members raised some concerns about the process and also spoke in, you know, slightly coded way about possibly the need for a more aggressive candidate, shall we say, somebody who will push for greater transformation of RTE and somebody who has a track record in achieving uh, transformation in organisations such as RTE. And of course, in this scenario, they are referring to, although I understand his name wasn't mentioned, David McRedmond, who was a candidate um, but was knocked out at the interview stage. David McRedmond is the chief executive of On Post. He's a chairman of AIR and he has vast broadcasting experience because he used to head up TV3 Group. So in many ways, you know, he was, I suppose, the favourite at the outset of the process in many people's eyes. Somebody who could potentially have the knack for both encouraging the government to give RTE more money. You know, you know at on post stamps went up from 72 cents to €1.35. And that, that's just a sort of an indicator of, of some of the wins that he had for on post. Um, whilst he could also have strength to push through cost cutting at RTE. So while there are some people in senior levels at RTE who think maybe, you know, he was the candidate for the job, the workforce as a whole would perhaps have been nervous from some of the things that he might have pushed for at RTE. But he's been knocked out of the interview process, um, you know, that can happen. People can um, not do good interviews. There can be a difference of opinion about the values and the strengths and experience that are needed. And uh, Kevin Backhurst does have, um, uh, you know, tenure at, at, at RTE. Since leaving RTE in 2016, he's uh, worked for the British media regulator Ofcom. Um, but he obviously has a keen interest in Ireland and applied for the job again and is very highly respected uh, amongst um, many uh, broadcasting executives too. 
So the expectation is that when the board meet again, his, it will be put to a vote and uh, Shuni Rahali, the chairwoman of RTE, will have enough support for Kevin Backhurst to be nominated and then the expectation would be that the cabinet would then sign off on that appointment. So all that's very well, but we shouldn't know anything about this. This is an interview process for a CEO for a large state-funded company. Why do we know any of this? Well, there were leaks along the way, which, you know, you can sometimes perhaps expect that in in this scenario. Within a media company, uh, everybody (laughs) tends to know a lot of other media companies and other journalists. So leaks can happen. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, I'm not going to sit here and criticise leaks because as a journalist, I love leaks. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the other side of it is from a corporate governance point of view, that if you're sitting on a board and the board member next to you is leaking, that's not an ideal situation. I can see why, you know, some of the concerns raised at the uh, meeting of the board last Friday were about the fact that they had heard about David McRedman being knocked out of the race um, through reports in the Business Post and the Irish Times. So, you know, that is a, a reasonable concern that that people might have as, as a board director to know more about the process from the media than from your own interactions uh, with the board. Because it also does it not speak to, in a sense, the credibility of an organisation and the difficulty it's given itself in the future. Because if in whoever gets the job now uh, is gone, there's a new process, who in the right mind would go for it if it's going to be this sort of, you know, leaky bear pit? It's definitely very messy and it definitely hurts the reputation of any company when it, when there's a leaky ship involved. It's up to Shuni Rally now to sort of um, maintain discipline, I suppose, within the board. Um, she's not long uh, in the job as chairwoman of, of RTE. Um, she succeeded uh, Moya Doherty there late last year. So this appointment of a new director general of RTE was really her her first and most important task. And yeah, it's it's a little bit unseemly. And I'm, I'm sure she's not very happy about what's happened. It seems to me if there were concerns about the selection process, and and how it was going to be conducted that really the time to raise those was in advance of the process to really discuss and have it out there what it was they were seeking in in from the candidate uh, the preferred candidate so if there was division there really you know that kind of should have been ironed out before um, we got to the stage where candidates were, were being knocked out. I mean, the, the, the actual selection panel, the, the three interviewers are limited to what they can share anyway. Um, so that that creates a little bit of, of tension, I think. It should be confidential, as you say, and you're now in a situation where I think, I mean, there's lots of reasons why, you know, people might run a mile from the job of RTE Director General. It is well paid, for sure, but there's lots of headaches around it and you know there's a sense perhaps that that failure can be can be built into it now the salary of the director general um and i i think i think it should be noted director general is kind of bonkers it's like this weird throwback you know the the head of itv is a ceo the head of channel four is a ceo you know director general is sort of very bbc ish isn't it yeah but anyway, it makes it sound a bit like mi5 completely I think, like it's, it's, what is that but anyway so the salary is around 300 grand a year now look that's clearly a huge salary. But 
is it really that huge in this context? Do you get the feeling that it was in any way a barrier to people applying? Is the salary big enough? I think it possibly is. I mean, there's always been this slight anomaly whereby on-air talent at RTE has earned more than the Director General. But the salary is 250000 uh, plus 56,000 in pension entitlements, bringing it up to a package of 306,000. And that 250,000 is, of course, the semi-state cap. And there has been concerns in other sectors um, when they're looking to replace the money in the top job um, that that, you know, does deter some candidates from applying. But I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the case for RTE. There is still a factor. You know, they always say whenever there's prestige connected to a job, you know, that takes, <laughs> that that really takes away money, you know, the, the amount of money you can expect. So, and people would feel that there is still prestige involved with being Director General of RTE and they would, you know, feel that there is a sense of public duty attached to it and a sort of a, a devotion to the principles of public service broadcasting that would guide them um, to uh, want to do the job in the first place. I'll continue my conversation with Laura Slattery after this short break. Now, you wrote uh, in your column this week, um, you know, who would want to be director general of RTE? Now, to me, that's kind of pretty damning in a sense, because the implication is that it's in the undesirable state job stakes. It's, it's, you know, up there with running the Department of Health. Like, what is the job? Well, certainly these days, you know, as I said, I mentioned the prestige and the public duty factor, but um, it does seem to have failure built into the role. Um, There is a sense that you're kind of uh, fighting a losing battle because in a sense, there's two fronts to this battle. There's the commercial revenues, which are in structural decline, which means there's very little you can do to to increase them again. You know, advertising revenues have migrated to the tech giants um, away from all traditional media. So, you know, short of turning RTE player into Netflix, which isn't going to happen. Um, there's very little they can do to counter that. And then on the other side of the equation, which has become more important now as a result, the public funding side, um, households are avoiding the licence fee legally by not having a television set and others are evading um, the licence fee um, just because it's possible to evade it. Why would you pay 160 quid if nobody's going to come knocking on your door? Um, so there's a slight disconnect, I think, there between maybe the, the uh, acceptance that a public service broadcaster is is a good thing to have in society and, and younger generations who are swamped by um, so many different media sources, um, most of them international in, in origin. Um, so as a director general of RTE, um, you're coming in to an organisation at a time that is perhaps under siege, really. Well, now you t- talk about funding and that, you know, that's a, a that has been kind of a thrumbeat, I think, uh, throughout D Forbes time there and probably her predecessor as well. But it has to have been a hard blow for RTE um, and maybe unexpected. I don't know. Uh, when the government last year rejected uh, the recommendation from the Future of Media Commission to abolish the licensee from 2024 and replace the income with exchequer funding. Now, ministers said that they were going to overhaul how the charge is collected and establish a group to assess the licence system. 
Now, RTE immediately came out. They they went into the Iraq This Committee with actually the other broadcast as well. And RTE said its funding for 2010 to 2019 was a mix of 46% commercial and 54% public funding. So the funding model is now banjaxed. It's certainly not what you might expect from sort of a, a public funded broadcaster. It's it's certainly not that. And, you know, it again defended the Commission's report, said that the, it's very clear the need for substantial reform of the public funding system. But it's all been long fingered. The whole licence fee issue has been long fingered, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been long fingered, I would say, for over a decade now, um, possibly even, even two decades at this stage, because uh, a lot of people could see this, this coming. There's been huge technological change, um, societal change. And, you know, the, the real pinch point, as I mentioned, is, is the decline in commercial revenues. It's, it's 100 million lower uh, now, the sum that RTE gets from, from commercial sources. So where does it get that money back to make programmes? You know, it well, it asks the government to help it out because if it, if it doesn't uh, help it out, then it has to start cutting services. Uh, and that's when RTE enters this catch-22 whenever they propose cutting certain services, they are told, no, no, you can't. You can't do that. You, you need to keep that service here and you need to keep that office open in Limerick, for example. When they tried to um, move Lyric FM out of uh, Limerick, it took them nine years to close the long wave radio service. So it comes up against all these hurdles all of the time. And these things are political. I mean, it's not that RTE was dragging its feet in trying to make these cuts. It proposed these cuts, it wanted to make these cuts. Then there was p- political lobbying, if you like, you know, long wave radio. I remember when that was first proposed, you know, there was outrage because there was a feeling that this is older people are listening to it, rural people are listening to it. So, you know, in a sense, RTE's hands, it's it, while we're asking it to be commercially savvy, it's very hard for it. Yeah, it's been really difficult, I think. Its hands have been tied on a on number of occasions. The long wave radio is a good example of that. I mean, you know, it, it said it would have cost it 400000 to run this year due to rising energy costs. And it really, you know, they didn't even know how many people were listening to it. It was mainly people in, in Britain. And, I mean, there is an irony here in, in that, you know, whenever a service is heavily used, I would say, by an older generation, um, it's difficult for RTE to ignore that because it hasn't really connected with younger audiences in the same way, or at least they've dispersed, you know, fragmented. It's hard to really get their attention for very long periods of time. So in a way, you should say maybe they should double down on the older uh, loyal generation that it has, um, the generation that most of which, you know, don't pay the license fee because they're no longer eligible to pay the license fee. Um, but, you know, if, if they keep doing that, it's only going to go when direction, the audience is just going to keep shrinking and shrinking um, over time. I mean, that's the unfortunate fact of life. Um, So it does need to reinvent itself and it it does need to um, have a new outlook and try its best within um, the resources that it has available to it to adapt to the new world that we find ourselves in, whilst sort of maintaining the sort of the principles as to why it was set up in the first place. The other thing I think we should say is that it's an incredibly public job, largely because everybody has an opinion on RTE. Yeah. And it's, it tends not to be about, you know, the nuts and bolts of the accounts. It tends to be about what they're literally consuming. But which departments do you consider are doing well and which are doing badly? 
I don't know if it's my bias towards um, drama because that's what I consume. I mean, there's, there's plenty of politicians, for example, who just just wouldn't know if RTE was performing well or badly at drama. You know, this just wouldn't cross their minds. But I do think she has got that department to a strong place. And again, this ties in uh, with the, uh, the her commercial background. And a number of people at RTE, not just E Forbes, you know, realised that they, they couldn't afford to make dramas on their own. That was that was disastrous. I mean, and it was very, it's very unusual for any broadcaster to really do that. So they started pursuing lots of different international co-productions. Now, not all of these were hits. Not all of them were any good. Let's let's be frank. But it has, you know, I think established a pattern, you know, and there's different drama executives have come and gone. It has established relationships. It's very important for RTE to have an Irish drama, a recognisably Irish drama going out on a Sunday night. It doesn't have to pay for it all. At the moment, it has, I think, one of the the, the better uh, and more enjoyable <laughs> examples of the genre in Kin. Please, I don't. We all say it and I swear. Which is, uh, you know, Dublin gangster drama. I mean, I don't know if they're not very bright gangsters, are they? Let's be honest. They do a lot of muttering, Laura. I think frankly, that's why I enjoy it. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're not, you know, they're not very clever. <laughs> um, it has uh, great um, views of Dublin, great settings, uh, great production qualities and design, and and that's funded by American money in co commissioner a- AMC Plus. So you know that's been recommissioned. Um, it's Irish talent, you know, to the fore. That's that's a great example. Of course, it needs more kins. You know, advertisers are looking for more of this kind of thing. Um, otherwise, it won't be able to sort of grow its reputation in this area and, and viewers will, you know, just be too busy watching Netflix and Disney Plus anyway. But I think it has in a highly competitive arena. It has done a good job in making sure that RTE is, is at the table here. Now, do we expect radically different RTEs to emerge under different directors general? Going back to the board's decision, going back to the, the, the various machinations that are going on, you know, would a David, Rac- David McRedmond RTE look and sound different than a Kevin Backhurst one? But are we expecting too much? Yeah, I think it's very difficult for one person to really put their complete stamp on, a, on an organisation. You know, RTE is... It's a bureaucracy. It's an extremely large organization. Um, you know, it's publicly funded. It has, you know, a sort of that side to it, the, the civil service vibe, shall we say. <laughs> um, the attitude of let's do this, you know, let's do this tomorrow that you see in a commercial organization has at times, I think, been missing at RTE where, you know, you need sign off from about 20 different managers. Um, So, you know, one person can influence the culture for sure, but whether they can fundamentally change it, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, Certainly Kevin Backhurst is more of a public service broadcaster guy than Dave McRebin, but, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that was really necessarily it wasn't a minus for David McRedmond that he hadn't worked for a public service broadcaster, at least it shouldn't have been. And he was drawn to the job in part because his uh, father worked for RTE, he was a senior executive at RTE. So, you know, he was very conscious of its heritage too. Um, Kevin Backhurst was for a long time a BBC uh, news executive. Um, 
and he had some good wins himself when he was appointed by the former Director General Noel Curran as the News and Current Affairs uh, Managing Director. He came in at a very difficult time uh, for News and Current Affairs at RTE. They had just had two scandals, um, the uh, Mission to Pray scandal um, and the Tweetgate one in the presidential debate. Its credibility had been, you know, a little bit shattered, to be honest, and morale was low and great journalists at RTE were were thinking about leaving. Uh, He came in and steadied the ship. It was a very difficult time financially for RTE. They were looking to cut back on regional offices. He found a way to sort of do deals with ITs around the country and keep some of that going. And, you know, you know. He, he did uh, apparently um, build strong political relationships here too. So whether they would be fundamentally different director generals, just just those two individuals, Kevin Backhurst and David McRedmond, I'm I'm not sure. It's probably have they probably have more in common than you might think. You know, we talk about all the the pressures facing the new director general about you know the pressures from abroad, streaming services, money, the whole lot. But I think probably most people will be wondering about the Late Late Show. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of Vortee's flagship programs still. Um, Ryan Tuberty is signing off at the end of this season and the succession race has begun. Um, but I think the new RTE Director General will probably have the sign-off on the decision and I understand the decision hasn't been made yet. Claire Byrne is seen as the frontrunner to replace uh, Tuberty. Um, Sarah McInerney has also been mentioned as a possible contender and uh, Jennifer Zamparelli is your outside bet We'll watch this space, uh, Laura. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bernice. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, including media analysis and reports from Laura Slattery, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was presented by me, Bernice Harrison, and was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.